Welcome to A History of the Inca. Interview with Stephen Berquist. Hello everyone and welcome back to A History of the Inca. I'm your host, Nick Mashinsky. I have a special episode for you all today. As you will hear shortly, it took me some time, a few months actually, but I was able to get my friend Stephen Berquist to sit down for an interview with me. Stephen is an archaeologist who has participated in several archaeological digs across the Andes and is finishing his PhD program at the University of Toronto. Our conversation mostly focused around the Wari, but we also got into discussions about the Inca as well as a group we'll cover after my summer hiatus, the Chimu. Enjoy. Well, everyone, uh, welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I've got a special guest today, Stephen Perquist, uh, friend, archaeologist. Haven't seen him in seven years. We've been trying to set up this interview for, God, months. Yeah. Uh, I think reached out to you in early November. November, I think, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, you were doing work actually in Detroit, not far from where I live. And yeah, then it's that... That day, a snowstorm actually prevented me from driving out that way. From oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was a freak. I think it was in mid-November, too. We had a freak yeah, yeah, snowstorm. It, it was pretty weird. Yeah, that was super early because the rest of this year until February, we didn't get much. And through technical difficulties, now we're on Skype. <laughs> uh, Steven is finishing his studies at the University of Toronto. Um and your specialty is in the Middle Horizon period, correct? Well, it is now, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I've had sort of an interesting career in that I started out really focusing on um, Inca and Spanish colonial archaeology in Peru, um, and particularly on environmental archaeology. And uh, I started excavating a site on the north coast of Peru that really looked like an Inca site. Um, our mutual friend Tom Hardy uh, has continued to insist until very recently that it must be an Inca site. Um, <laughs> and I found, I found documentation in the colonial archives of a site in that area um, referred to by the same name as people refer to this site, um, occupied into the early colonial, you know, epoch. Um, and I started excavating at... <laughs> And it turned out to be um, far too early. It turned out to be, um, eventually we figured out the, the carbon dates, put it between like 700 and 950 AD for the oh, occupation, yeah. which is solidly in the middle horizon. So yeah. I've had to, um, over the past, I mean, it's been a little while since I started um, excavating at this site. So I've had plenty of time to uh, to become an expert on this literature or, you know, expert in quotation marks. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so now I work in the Middle Horizon, which is <laughs> a very interesting period. But, yeah, so, um, well, tell me tell me more about the site, what, what you've kind of uncovered so far, and maybe we'll get to uh, then how it could tie into the Wari, or how it might not tie into the Wari in a little bit. So, I mean, what can you tell us a little about the site? 
Well, just a preface. Um, every, everything in the middle horizon ties into worry to some degree, even if it's not worry, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this in a minute, but the worry did certainly travel over quite a wide region. Um, and so figuring out where they were and what they were doing is important, even if you don't end up with evidence that they were at a given site. So anyway, um, the site is called Takapa. It is... Uh, a large site um, in the Hecatepeque Valley of the north coast of Peru. It lies on the desert margins of uh, a sort of broad green river valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's right next to a sort of large adobe pyramid um, that was occupied for several centuries prior to the construction of Tacapa by uh, the culture that we call the Moche. Um, and so my site, Tacapa, is built up right against this this Moche Waka called Waka, Colorado. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what we've found is, so the architecture is what initially made us believe that it was an Inca site, including, I, I should say, like a number of far more experienced archaeologists who have been working in this region for many years. Um, and a, lo- a lot of people noticed some like odd little details about the architecture, but for the most part, everyone was very convinced that it was Inca. Um, so I started excavating, right? And uh, simply was not finding any Inca material. <laughs> uh, and in fact, was finding a lot of um, finding a lot of local ceramics, local domestic ceramics, and then um, a lot of ceramics from the nearby highlands that dated it to what would overlap with this with this sort of um, moche waka, um, and uh, started to panic <laughs> because <laughs> I was just like, oh no, I'm going to be one of those people who has to like rethink their entire dissertation uh, yeah yeah which which i have absolutely <laughs> done um luckily it turned out well because i think and a, a number of people think that i have some some pretty good ideas about this site that relate to what's going on across a larger region okay excellent and i would just want to give some background about the the war as we get into them uh for listeners who don't remember uh we covered them quite a few episodes ago so they began in the ayukuchu region uh expanded in the sixth and seventh centuries um we covered in the podcast that they uh built piquiacta in the lucre uh basin we had mokegua in the cerro ball uh or mokegua valley um cerro ball over there uh, believed to be a political rival against Tiwanaku and uh, two mainstream thoughts as far as organization or there have been uh, one being a centralized empire um, worry imperial model or and the other is actually that it's more of a culture uh, possibly a strong maybe a strong central um, administration but otherwise kind of culture based i kind of compared it to a greek city state model i believe and uh you've 
you've kind of proposed a, a third theory, I believe. Uh, could you get into that a little bit? Well, I'm not sure that it's... So it gets it's complicated, right? Um, I, I'm not. <laughs> it's never I'm not straightforward. Sure right. It's never it's never straightforward. What I would say is that what what I'm proposing is pretty similar to the idea of of a city state model. But okay. So here here's where we start. So you you have to know a little about the history of wari excavations and of archaeological theory, right? And so people yeah, started out. And I just. We haven't gotten too deep into archaeological right. theory on the podcast for, you know, for some obvious, obvious reasons. <laughs> right. But we're, we'll, we'll get into it just a little bit, just a yeah. just a sort of drop in the bucket. But so so the main thing is that we knew about the city of Tiwanaku in the Altiplano in the highlands of Bolivia uh, much earlier than we knew about the city of Wari. Right. And so for many years, people interpreted um, Middle Horizon ceramics of this, of this sort of characteristic Wari style as being influenced by the city of Tiwanaku. Um, and so I, I forget exactly which decade, but many, many decades ago, um, people discovered that in fact, there was this large, really quite large city um, in the Ayacucho region uh, that uh, they named Wari, which means ancestors, right? Um, so you have these two large cities now, Wari and Tiwanaku, and basically you end up with this sort of like socio-political division where people from Bolivia attribute more importance to Tiwanaku, people from Peru, you know, want to attribute more importance to Wari, and each one sort of mm -hmm. claims this ancient city as the center of an empire um, and begins sort of interpreting everything that's happening during the middle horizon in relation to um <clears throat> in relation to either warrior tiwanaku right. and this ends up producing some pretty um uh some some archaeology that I, I would criticize right so you end up with people um going out to study a middle horizon site their research questions will be how did wari impact this site right so i don't know if you notice the problem with this research question, but you should start off with the question of, did Wari affect this site, <laughs> right? And people won't be doing that. They will just assume that it was a part of the Wari empire. And then whatever findings they reach at this site, they will attribute to Wari in one way or the other. Um, it must have been Wari doing this. It must have been Wari doing that. Um, but... <sighs> The thing is, if you if you look at if you kind of start over again from the beginning, as some people are kind of starting to do. Um, well, let me let me backtrack for a minute. So, so the other major piece of evidence that you have for Wari is this ceramic sequence um, constructed by an archaeologist named Dorothy Menzel, and so she identified a number of different Wari ceramic styles all present in the Ayacucho region. Mm -hmm. um, and she basically said that each ceramic style um, was essentially chronologically separate from the others. So you have one type of ceramic developing into another type of ceramic, developing into another type of ceramic. Um, and so you can identify Wari sites you know, by associating 
one of these ceramic styles um, with the time period it was occupied. Right. So we've started to come up with, I think, a couple of big problems here <laughs> um, in recent research that hasn't, it hasn't really cohered yet into um, a paradigm shift, but I think it's going too soon. Um, so the first thing was um, it is in fact being addressed by the sort of um, grand old man of worry studies, uh, Dr. William Isbell. And what he's noted is that in his research, he started to find that actually these ceramic styles, these, this supposed chronological sequence constructed by Dorothy Menzel, they actually overlap a great deal um, in terms of time period. And in fact, he doesn't think that we can separate them chronologically at all anymore. But he notes that at the site where he's been working, at least, um, uh, Conchapada, that the ceramic styles are separated in space. So there are different sectors of the site with different types of ceramics at them, which suggests that the ceramic styles correspond more to some form of socio-political division than they do um, uh, to a chronological division. So that might make us think, you know, just initially that worry is more, um, a bit more fragmented, right? A bit more sort of heterarchical than previous models had stated or the dominant model had stated. And then you also have one of my supervisors and uh, along with Patricia Knobloch um, doing a social networking analysis of Wari ceramics um, and particularly of like figures, um, human personages depicted in Wari ceramics. And the hypothesis is that if Wari is strongly centralized and very hierarchical, like an empire, like Rome, that you ought to have a sort of um, outcome of a hierarchical network, right? Where you find certain figures more prominently at the center and you find, you know, larger sites primarily have ties back to the city of Wari itself. And then smaller sites have ties to, you know, the sort of second order sites. And they haven't found that. They found, again, a much more sort of um, horizontal uh, relationship between all these different uh, Wari sites. So this is, this is to set the stage for what my research is. Um, and my research is into the architecture, right? I do, right. Um, I specialize in space and architecture and, um, you know, and uh, mapping and that sort of thing, modeling, spatial modeling of various types. And so I came into this site, Tecapa, with uh, this supposedly Inca architecture, right? And it turned out to be far too early. And in fact, it pertains to the Middle Horizon, which um, is the time period associated with Wari. So the Wari have pretty similar architecture in some ways to the Inca. They're a lot of their settlements are constructed around this, um, this sort of compound called a concha, or that archaeologists call a concha. You'll probably recognize the word from the Cori concha. Um, 
and uh, or the Kusikancha, also in Cusco. And, and these compounds are essentially large open patios lined with these sort of long uh, hall-like structures with niches inside. And often at one end of the compound, you'll have uh, what archaeologists call a kayanka, which is a large sort of indoor assembly hall type place. Right. Um, also often niched. So the Wari have these conchas also. Um, you find them at the city of Wari itself. And for a long time, people have been using this sort of architecture to identify Wari sites. So if you find a concha and you produce carbon dates related to the middle horizon, you call it a Wari site. So what I have, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I found mostly ceramics from the nearby highlands and local ceramics. And no, nothing, nothing that pertains to Wari. Um, there's a couple of fragments at the nearby uh, pyramid, but really there's only, I think, three to four identifiably Wari ceramic fragments, which is really pretty tenuous, right, in terms of tying it to uh, tying it to Ayacucho somewhere. And there's just, there's no other artifacts that, uh, that could tie it back to Wari. Um, almost everything is, you know, again, either local or, uh, Cajamarca. And so I started looking at other examples of supposedly Wari architecture, um, in the middle horizon with these Concha patio groups. And I realized that most of the sites <laughs> that had been designated as Wari sites in the north, um, to the north of Ayacucho, I should say, uh, do not have any materials that can be associated with Wari or, or else, you know, just a ceramic fragment or two. I think there, there is what has been labeled as a Wari site in the Cajamarca Highlands. And I think, uh, 1%, there, there have been some excavations there, and I think 1% of the fine ceramics uh, are worry. Mm -hmm. Just, to me, not really very good evidence that... That's pretty, uh, that's pretty low. <laughs> right. And then, you know, the final kicker in this was tracing back, uh, tra like expanding this search and thinking about earlier architecture, right? And, um, so here we have some work done by Dr. John and Teresa Topic in Huamachuco uh, and Dr. Alejandro Herrera, no, Alexander Herrera, sorry, he's Peruvian. So I, uh, I, uh, I, I Hispanicized his name. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, they, what they found is that you actually have these concha structures that predate um, Wari entirely um, in this region. And so the idea that the architecture must have derived from the city of Wari um, just can't be sustained, right? Especially, and, and you see these larger sites incorporating the concha in the middle horizon, but absent any artifacts tying these sites back to Wari, it just does not seem sensible or sustainable to me to, uh, to argue that these are Wari sites. Right. So basically we have architecture that is similar throughout um, what we right. associated with Wari for, for decades. But the pottery, you know, 
that's really unique. That's been, and we don't have a lot of worry at those local sites that you're excavating. Like you said, it's about one to 2% at that uh, one particular site. It's only a couple fragments at at yours. Um, And so basically in the North, we have maybe some independent cultures or groups that may have traded or interacted with the war in some way. Exactly. Uh, But nothing, nothing kind of, nothing that indicates a top-down direct control kind of from worry over those groups. I I would actually, I I think your Greek city-state analogy is a really good one here, right? Because you see similar sorts of architecture, similar styles, similar types of building um, across the Greek world through the classical period, right? And while Athens may have economically dominated a lot of those cities, um, it didn't necessarily rule them in any direct way. Uh, or at least it, it ruled some of them and it established its own colonies um, as, and as you mentioned, Pikiakta and Sarabaul are certainly um, much more closely associated with Wari. I have no, I have no doubt that these are uh, Wari colonies in some form. And I've actually worked at another like almost certain Wari colony in the South called Kilkapampa. Um, but, you know, Athens has its own ceramic style. They trade it with people, you know, and then other, other people imitate it. It's, you know, it, it doesn't mean that Athens is ruling these places. It just means that right. Athens is, emerges out of a sort of network of different connections between cities, between populations, and then, you know, exerts a broad influence, but, um, and, you know, you can call it an empire, certainly. Um, and in fact, uh, Thucydides did call it an empire. Um, the, uh, the writer of the Peloponnesian War, who was, mm-hmm. you know, writing shortly after that, uh, after that event. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways of conceptualizing an empire, Right. And we've we've talked about that, um, you know, off this interview of, you know, how does one uh, constitute an empire where the well, there's, you know, many different forms that could take and, right. it, you know, how direct or how controlling an empire is that has varied through throughout history and, you know, based on regions and cultures and right. and everything. So it could be a number of factors. Um, right. The war, could have been, you know economically sort of exploiting these smaller groups or maybe exploiting is not correct the correct word but maybe had more direct access to those groups but maybe not necessarily installing their own leaders or 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 something like that that we've seen with like the inca or that we will see with the inca uh, when i talk about their administration a little bit more um so in, in a sense the war is kind of very similar i would say to tiwanaku basically you had this large city ruled by elites and then they sort of kind of control or or i shouldn't say control dominate a certain region with kind of their economic might if you will Uh, would you agree with that or in a little bit or yeah something like that um yeah I, i think that's fair to say right like Another another way to think about it is like a lot of people outside of the United States see the United States as an empire, right? Um, and we will like dominate regions economically, 
um, and sometimes militarily, but we don't necessarily rule over them in any, you know, uh, direct way. Um, right. And so, you, you know, you can say this sort of thing about a number of different uh, sort of social formations across history, right? Um, but it doesn't seem like Wari was a state in the way that we tend to think about those things. And probably, probably Tiwanaku wasn't either. Um, I've, I've talked to, there's a lot of new research coming out of Tiwanaku and out of Bolivia. Um, and a lot of the younger scholars, um, professors, I should still say, so more senior than me, um, are also feel that Tiwanaku is, is ready for sort of a paradigm shift away from this idea of like a centralized, strongly hierarchical, you know, bureaucratic state. Interesting. So do we, do you think we have like a system of city states or a history of city states within the Andes? Like we have, you know, we've talked about Tiwanaku and, and uh, the Wari today, but even looking back at the Moche and even the Nazca, you have a similar um, or you have a similar yeah. style there where, you know, you could have in the Moche case, different valleys being controlled by a certain site or city, but you look across the valleys and they're all fairly similar uh, culturally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's precisely what's going on. And then, I mean, when, one of the things, like I've, I, pro I probably actually spend too much time out in the field. Right. And uh, <laughs> like I've, I've, worked at many, many sites across the Andes and my, my partner is a Peruvian archaeologist. One of the things I've started to realize is that there's, there's far more cities. <laughs> there's far more like large um, population centers dating to pretty early than I think most, than are really on most people's radar, right? Like, um, oh shoot, I forget the name of it. Um, Hold on, I've got my... There, like, there's a major Middle Horizon city just above Lima, right? Oh, right, there's, yeah. There's there's also Pachacamac. Um, yep. There's... Um, there's a major... Uh, several major sites in, like, the Casma Valley. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, prior to Piki Octa, you probably had... Um, you had Waro... Um, in the valley over from Lucre. And people have characterized that as like a Wari settlement. And it, there certainly seemed to have been Wari people there. But did the Wari people found it? Well, we don't really know enough about it to make that claim, right? It's, it's doing that same, it's making that same sort of um, interpretive leap that people were doing where like, oh, this is, you know, this, Wari must be the cause of this thing. Um, because Wari is, you know, the big city, it must be the mover of all events. Whereas that doesn't, you know, that just doesn't line up with a lot of the evidence. Like people do, <laughs> pe people, people do their own stuff, right? Like people are always, that's the main thing you learn. If you're, if you do sort of a critical archeology span is like everyone is always doing stuff. Right. right. Yeah, they're developing or coming up with ideas or similar ideas on their own in a way. And yeah. they find a way to make it, you know, make it work for them. 
Um, it doesn't mean that they're being, you know, controlled or influenced necessarily by another group, though they might. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they could develop independently of each other and come up with the same idea or a similar idea or totally different. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like everyone's always influencing each other, right? <laughs> it's like what worry is worry is not like a completely you know isolated development like it's it's very clear that there's a lot of influence from nazca and probably from the north as well from from like ankash and uh wamachuko and these names that probably don't mean very much to a lot of the people listening to this but um (laughs) the city i was trying to think of between you know my I have a pretty good idea of the main sites in the Andes. You, well, you, of course do, yeah. have a, you, of course, though, have a much better idea. And then me, between me trying to pronounce said sites on the podcast, I'm sure there's a, I've created a great deal of confusion <laughs> out there. <laughs> Unintentionally. Quechua can be tricky. Uh, the city I was trying yeah. to think of above Lima, by the way, is called Cajamarquia. Okay. Which is different from Cajamarca. Okay, yeah, because Cajamarca is kind of, that's north, right? Yeah, Cajamarca is in the north. Yeah. And then Cajamarca, Cajamarquia is a, is a city just above Lima. And then okay. if you, because, because my partner is from Lima, um, one of the things that I have, uh, I mean, she takes me, she has taken me to a mountain of archaeological sites in Lima. And that's one of the things that I've learned is that that region the place where Lima is now, the capital of Peru, must have been so densely inhabited, right? Like it, there must have been so many people living there because I, I'll go for a run or something through the back streets and I'll just stumble on like, oh, there's a pyramid here. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's quite a, that's quite a find. So they, oh, they're, all, uh, they're all over. All over. They've yeah. built up around them for the most part. I'm sure quite Mostly, a few yeah. been. Oh, that's good. That's that's something you don't always get to see. Most of the time, it's straight through a site. Yeah, they try and preserve them. Or, I mean, the 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 Ministry of Culture and a lot of the archaeology. I mean, it's the same everywhere, right? Like most most people are good actors, but it only takes like one bad actor to destroy a site. One bad actor with a bulldozer, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely like it was definitely true. I was just home uh, over Christmas break and I was um, having some beers with like high school, high school friends. And they're telling me about, um, you know, some, some farmer from like nearby who had like plowed over a mound. Oh um, yeah. A First Nations mound. And they were, they were like annoyed about it. They were like, he should not have done that. Oh wow. That's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, not much. You, yeah. Not much you can do once it's already, plowed under unfortunately no you only there's only so much you know time and resources and money to actually invest in protecting these things yeah yeah so and going back to you know the number of sites in the andes and i've talked about this briefly on the podcast one the andes you know it's it's such a difficult terrain it's so hard to get to places get to anywhere uh oh yeah in, in peru or in the andes and you have an empire in, in the Inca who is roughly the size of Rome in a way and and just trying to find all those sites and all those non-Inca sites as well. What 
ballpark estimate, what percentage of sites do you think have actually been found or discovered in the Andes? No, there's, it's, (laughs) there's, people are constantly finding new sites, right? There's, there's so many valleys that haven't been surveyed. There's so much that's still out there to find. I, I have like personally, so a few years ago, you, you might have talked about Chachapoyas, about the city of Coilap in Chachapoyas. It's really impressive, just massive. Like, there were probably 10,000 people living there, right? Um, enormous stone walls. Just very, very impressive place. Um, like, I went to... <laughs> I, I helped out on a project that was, like, it was just a couple hours away. Uh, a site that, you know, of the same size... There was just like it was completely overgrown by jungle, and no one had ever published on it. It was just sitting there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, that that I mean that was some real Indiana Jones stuff there. Like I fell into a booby traps uh, and boulders. Well, I, fe- I fell into like a, a toxic uh, bush, and like my <laughs> arm my arms went my arms went numb for the rest of the day. Oh no! It was very strange. Um, it was fine. Like it wasn't a big deal, but right. just odd. Anyway. Yeah. No, there's, there's so many sites out there. Um, and, and one, one of the things that occurred to me, like there, that keeps occurring to me though, two, two things keep occurring to me. And one is there's so much out there still to do. We know, we know so little about what's going on. Um, but the second is like every time someone surveys an entire valley, they'll find like two or three Inca sites, Right. And, and not Inca sites in the same way that we, you know, find Wari sites and just like, oh, this must be Wari because it's Middle Horizon. But th- things that are like clearly Inca, <laughs> the Inca were everywhere. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you think they were the first like true empire in the Andes or would you? And I know we've talked about the definition of empire, Tiwanaku and Wari could be considered one as well, but as far as you know, how dominant they were. I mean, they were certainly far more dominant than than uh, Wari or Tiwanaku. But I, I, there is there is an intervening step here um, in the Chimu. Um, That's right. The the Chimu certainly conquered. Uh, a, so. I, I think personally that the Chimu and the Inca were the first to engage in like a large scale project of conquest, um, which I think is what you mean. Um, I do not, I don't really think that Wari or Tiwanaku were going out and conquering um, like large regions. Like they certainly were not entirely peaceable yeah there's a lot there's there's clearly some fighting going on um and it's clear that they might be you know like taking over some valleys and subduing populations and that sort of thing or but maybe it's just like raids and getting into like like we don't know that's the thing right Mm -hmm. like there's no there's no evidence for like wari fortresses or tiwanaku fortresses there's no there's no evidence for like garrisons. There's no evidence for really for like large scale storage or redistribution of the, the sorts of things that you see in the Inca empire with this sort of like vast administrative apparatus. Um, right. 
so, and thus a necessity for like keeping order. Um, so right. yeah. Um, that's, uh, and you do find evidence for these things with the Inca, right? Like there's, um, there's, you, you, you can find like lines of Inca fortresses, um, along their frontiers as those frontiers expanded. Right. Yeah. We haven't gotten to much of the conquest and, um, frontiers where we've, we're still in the reign of Pachacuti right now. And, you know, he, he expanded the empire, but you know, his son really, you know, really stepped it up. And as far as the Chimu goes, yeah. we, we haven't touched on them yet. Um, I'm hoping towards the end of this year, uh, to really get involved with them. Cause yeah, there are, um, you know, they, for those of who don't know who the Chimu are, they kind of set up shop where the Moche were right. and kind of expand over those valleys and on the coast and have a totally, I shouldn't say totally, have a different administration system, uh, economy, if you will, as well than the Inca do. And just kind yeah. of, con- they, they, a lot, there's a lot of things that are different between the two cultures. Right. And it's not it's not entirely clear what all of those are. Um, one one of the things that I started off doing in my day, so there's there's a number of things at my site that kind of pre prefigure like Chimu architecture, Chimu compounds, that sort of thing, um, and they make it look, you know, they, so the thing I actually started off writing about in my dissertation, because I knew more about the later periods, was uh, how this site, how Tacapa related to Chimu and Chan Chan, the capital of, of the empire. Um, and it really it highlighted some differences with the Inca that I think people hadn't necessarily noticed, while also... Um, really sort of subverting some of the other, or sorry, no, it highlighted some similarities with the Inca that people hadn't noticed while also like um, contradicting some of the similarities that people had argued. Okay. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So one, one of the things that I realized in this research was that the compounds at Chan Chan also have a slightly different version of these conchas, right? Of these patio groups. Um, and it's a version of the patio group that you see in the highlands just above the Moche Valley, right? So it makes sense. So actually someone, someone had noticed that these compounds looked like concha before, but, um, true to the earlier conversation had interpreted them as being influenced by the Wari. Um, and everyone shouted this guy down and said like, no, there's no (laughs) evidence for this. You know, we don't, the worry, there's no worry sites in this Valley. Like we can't, um, whereas I'm saying, no, these, these are, you know, it's the same sort of thing, but it's coming from the highlands, you know, immediately above the Valley, which we don't obviously interacted with the Chimu. So, um, so that's, that's, you know, one interesting thing. Um, but then another interesting thing was like people had talked about these sort of bureaucratic um, cubicles where people would where bureaucrats would like sit and keep track of 
goods as they entered the storerooms, this sort of thing. Um, and there, there's, there's similar sorts of structures at my site and, and at other sites, I should say, from that are contemporaneous. And it's pretty obvious that they're, you know, ritual structures, right? They're, they're places where you put um, idols or mummies or ancestors, that sort of thing. Right. Well, I think that's all the questions I've got uh, for today. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take us out. If there's anything that you want to plug or or say or mention. Um, well, um, actually, yeah. <laughs> so I, I've just helped uh, Justin Jennings finish up a book on the Wari site of Kilkapampa. Um, in in the south, in the Siwas Valley, and th- this one does appear to be a Wari site, but this it has a very good review of you know new directions in Wari research, right? So that'll be uh, that might be interesting to some people. Um, it's it's pretty readable for the most part. Um, there are a few chapters that are mostly data, but uh, worth looking into. Um, and then the other thing is, and this might be more pertinent and more interesting to your listeners, um, I am also helping to finish another book on, uh, tentatively titled How the Inca Built Cusco, um, with Dr. Bill Siller and Dr. Alexi Vranich, and Dr. Tom Hardy also, probably. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and so the idea for this book is pretty explicitly to make it more um, to make it more relatable to a, both an academic and popular audience. Right. So something that people can like buy in preparation for their trip to Cusco, if they're more interested in history and archeology span and that sort of thing. And to sort of um, to show that Pachacuta didn't just build the entire city in one go, that there's all these, renovations and periodizations that have to do with the sort of political machinations of different groups in Cusco and that these are tied into the sort of expansion of the empire and the different power plays that these families are making and you know the different areas that they are incorporating into into the empire and that sort of thing um so that that one won't be out for a while probably you know a year or so but it will come out at some point so keep an eye out for it (laughs) yeah no that sounds great um i know a lot of listeners probably read you know the more broad or high level uh texts and certainly that's easier to digest than some of the articles and and books that i've plowed through (laughs) for Um, sure and yeah definitely i've i've come to that challenge in the podcast as far as you know you have the story of you know, the story of Pachacuti rebuilding Cusco. And then at the same time, I had to go back and explain, okay, this is what likely happened, you know. This yeah. is how it kind of formulated over over time with uh, different rulers building upon um, each other until you have, you know, the city of Cusco. So that'll be very nice to go back and kind of read that. Um, and so right. I'll, I'll look forward to that and, I'll, I'm sure I'll keep in touch with you as far as when that comes out. Um, so, Stephen, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me today, and I will see you soon. Yeah, hopefully, man. <laughs> come back down to come back down to Peru sometime when 
when all of this is over. Uh, I'd like to get back there. And uh, yeah, with a one-year-old, that's going to be a little tough. <laughs> but one oh, day. Oh, well. Like, <laughs> one day. Yeah, one day would be nice. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Steven. He and I talked for another 10 to 15 minutes afterwards, just catching up, but also discussing about having other archaeologists come onto the show. So I hope to have some more interviews for you all in the future. Next week, we return to the Inca and discuss who will be the successor to Pachacuti. Pachacuti.